This is Exchanges at Goldman Sachs, where we discuss developments currently shaping markets, industries, and the global economy. I'm Jake Seward, Global Head of Corporate Communications here at the firm. It's been a big week in the news across the board, but particularly in the race for a COVID-19 vaccine. To get to the latest on that and what's still ahead, we're joined by Salveen Richter, Lead Analyst for the U.S. Biotech Sector for Goldman Sachs Research. Salveen, welcome to the program. Jake, thank you for having me. So, you know, there was huge news earlier this week when Pfizer released encouraging vaccine results. What do those results tell us and how have markets reacted? Yes. So on Monday, Pfizer and BioNTech released positive data from their phase three COVID-19 vaccine study for their asset known as BNT. 162B2, and they showed us vaccine efficacy of greater than 90% in terms of preventing COVID-19 in patients without prior evidence of SARS-CoV-2 infection. This did occur at seven days post the second dose. The results were based on a first interim analysis per an evaluation of 94 confirmed cases of COVID-19. There were no serious safety concerns. On the Ford here, there will be more interim analyses for the final look at 164 cases. Given this was the first demonstration of phase three efficacy for a COVID-19 vaccine, the markets understandably reacted quite positively. So, Salveen, you closely cover Moderna, which also has a late-stage vaccine in development. Does the Pfizer news imply anything about the likelihood of Moderna to be successful? And is there a way that we can read across that success to think about Moderna's vaccine? Yes. So my colleague Terrence Flynn covers Pfizer. With regard to Moderna, we should view this as a positive read through given the technology is identical and and the constructs are pretty similar for these vaccines. Basically, how they work here is that they introduce an mRNA molecule into the body through an injection, and this provides the body with directions to make a specific protein. In this case, it is the spike protein that is on the surface of the SARS-CoV-2 virus. This then elicits an immune response in the body to the SARS-CoV-2 virus in order to prevent or defend against future infection. Both Moderna and Pfizer-BioNTech have developed their vaccines to be administered in two doses, one to prime the immune response and the second to boost it. For COVID-19, though, we'd note, and this is, you know, kind of a nice feature here of the mRNA vaccines, Moderna designed the vaccine in two days after the genome sequence was published and took two months to manufacture the vaccine for clinical trials. So this speed of development is really possible given Moderna's modular manufacturing capabilities that leverage AI and machine learning. So with the success that Pfizer announced and and the potential for success on the Moderna front, a lot of the attention is now turned to sort of production, distribution, approval processes. What's the best case scenario timeline look like for vaccine approvals and distribution in the United States? Sure, Jake. So a best case scenario here would involve emergency use authorization. This is a process by which during an emergency, the FDA can determine that the vaccine is worth approving for use, even without the full evidence to establish its effectiveness and safety, which would lead to a December-January approval potentially for high-risk groups. Remember, despite the positive interim and efficacy data released by Pfizer and BioNTech, a median of two months follow-up on safety is required following the second dose of the vaccine. We believe the safety data will be available by the third week of November for Pfizer-BioNTech and by November 24th for Moderna, post which they can file for emergency use authorization. Dr. Scott Gottlieb, the ex-FDA commissioner and a member of Pfizer's board of directors, 
recently did project that it could take the FDA about two to four weeks to approve a vaccine after an EUA filing. So we expect full approval for these two vaccines in early 2021 based on the full efficacy analysis of the trials and then distribution to the broader population in 2Q21. In terms of supply and distribution, we estimate for population-wide or 100% vaccination that the US, EU, UK, Canada, and Japan would have a surplus of vaccines contingent on the totality of agreements and these vaccines working. If you look at the US by year end, Moderna guides to availability of 20 million doses. Now, each individual needs two doses. And Pfizer-BioNTech guide to 30 to 40 million doses with the potential for 100 million doses by March 2021. If you think of a more global picture for 2021, Moderna does expect to deliver COVID-19 doses of 500 million to 1 billion. Pfizer-BioNTech expects to have greater than 1.3 billion doses available. And other phase three vaccines, such as Novavax, will have supply of 2 billion. AstraZeneca has signed contracts for over 3 billion. And J&J expects to have greater than 1 billion. And we know J&J is the only vaccine potentially that could be available with a one-dose regimen. So I'm an optimist, so I like to focus on best case scenarios, but why don't we run through some of the risks that could delay that rapid, relatively rapid distribution? There is the possibility that the FDA does not approve a vaccine based on emergency use authorization, but the expanded access program is another path in discussion for granting early access to a vaccine. You know, per your optimism, we did really just have some excellent data for Pfizer and BioNTech's vaccine. Also, we are monitoring for safety events as these phase three trials progress. Per Dr. Monsef Slawi, the chief scientific officer of Operation Warp Speed, about 90% of adverse events related to vaccination take place within the first 42 days. So that is positive in that sense. Um, so we'd be watching for rarer side effects that occur in larger populations over time. A challenge could also be in convincing the broader population to get vaccinated. That's going to be a key focus here on the Ford. And one thing we'd be looking at is on distribution. We note cold storage infrastructure is required to various degrees. This does exist in developed countries. And that while frameworks for tiered access, prioritizing high-risk populations do exist, we will want to see execution on this front. Okay, so you covered a lot of potential deadlines, some risks to those deadlines. What are you going to be focused on looking ahead to determine the course of action going forward? So we await more interim and final looks from the phase three studies. And in light of the positive data we've just seen, we would expect the focus to shift and our focus to shift to a few key factors. We're looking at the regulatory approval path and timing to market. As we mentioned earlier, December, January approval seems likely for high-risk groups. We'd be looking for the additional data from the phase three trials, including impact on severe disease, potentially prevention of infection and durability here. Are we looking at a situation where we need to take an annual vaccine on the Ford? We'll also be looking at the outlook for the other phase three COVID-19 vaccine candidates. So apart from Pfizer and Moderna, we're watching AstraZeneca, which guides to providing ex-US data for their vaccine by end of 2020. J&J will be watching as well as Novavax. And then we're looking at Sanofi, GlaxoSmithKline, um, given these are two traditional vaccine players, where they're going to have phase one, two data likely by December with a phase three trial initiation by year end 20. 
In addition to all of this, we do anticipate focus on COVID-19 vaccine manufacturing capacity and supply dynamics, distribution, as well as supply chain inputs such as syringes and vials. All right. Well, that's a lot to keep track of. You're going to have a busy winter. You've had a busy year and it doesn't sound like it's going to let up anytime soon. We'll have to have you back on to check in on the progress in a couple months. But Salveen, thanks for joining us today. Jake, thank you. It was my pleasure. That concludes this episode of Exchanges Goldman Sachs. Thank you for listening. And if you enjoyed the show, we hope you subscribe on Apple Podcasts and leave a rating or a comment. And please tune in later this week for our weekly markets update. We're going to be talking to David Costin of Goldman Sachs Research, who will share his latest outlook for U.S. equities. This podcast was recorded on Wednesday, November 10th in the year 2020. Thank you very much for listening. All price references and market forecasts correspond to the date of this recording. This podcast should not be copied, distributed, published, or reproduced in whole or in part. The information contained in this podcast does not constitute research or a recommendation from any Goldman Sachs entity to the listener. Neither Goldman Sachs nor any of its affiliates makes any representation or warranty as to the accuracy or completeness of the statements or any information contained in this podcast and any liability, therefore including in respect of direct, indirect, or consequential loss or damage, is expressly disclaimed. The views expressed in this podcast are not necessarily those of Goldman Sachs, and Goldman Sachs is not providing any financial, economic, legal, accounting, or tax advice or recommendations in this podcast. In addition, the receipt of this podcast by any listener is not to be taken as constituting the giving of investment advice by Goldman Sachs to that listener, nor to constitute such person a client of any Goldman Sachs entity.